message is part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. You know, when, when guest speakers come, they just sort of stomp on the sacred things. I, I hope that this corner of this table is not so sacred. Is that okay? All right. Good. It's a beautiful, beautiful table, by the way. Um, you know, I was telling the, my friends in the, in the sound booth back there, and, um, you know, the areas of service here in, in your church, I, I know are, are like mine. They're many and, uh, and often unsung. So the, uh, the ones playing keyboards back in the back are always the unsung. So we appreciate so much you guys back there working hard and, and most of the attention's up here and we don't pay attention to that. And so, um, you know, and those that are in, 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 uh, working with the children, I don't know if y'all rotate that every week. Is that something that's what we do too? And, and, uh, sure, sure would make it wonderful if y'all would volunteer to, to take your part in that. Really just, just be a part of the team because everybody gets to, to uh, participate more when more people own the experience, right? So it's a, it's a team effort. Um, so I was thinking this morning about, um, about our, our worship, and I, I have some, some thoughts that we've worked together to put up here, but I'm going to hold off on that just a second. I'm not exactly sure when and how we're going to get to that because I just, I've really been sort of wrestling this morning, you know, coming back here. How many of you uh, saw me or met me at Kimberly's funeral? Yeah, so you, some of you know my story, um, you know, and I, I want you to understand a lot of where I am today, my friend Jackie Finley back in the back. I don't know, if, where's Jackie? There he is. Jackie's back there in the back. And Jackie has mentored me and taught me um, sort of this whole idea of what it means to be a disciple that makes disciples who make disciples. And, and a lot of that starts with your story. And I don't know if you remember at the, at the funeral, me sharing my story, my three-word story, that uh, the first word that would describe my life before I received the love and forgiveness of Jesus is bondage. It had to do with childhood molestation and the way I responded to that uh, through uh, uh, drugs and alcohol also had to do with me being dyslexic and not knowing it. Um, so I, I, most of my childhood and teenage and adolescent years, I saw myself as broken and stupid. And uh, on May 2nd, 1988, I received the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and it changed my life forever. Um, the word that describes the events surrounding those days were freedom. For the first time, I, I found out that, that God really did want to carry my burden and shame. I, I knew that people had told me that. I knew that I had read scripture pertaining to that, but I'd never trusted that. And so on May 2nd, 1988, I, I prayed a prayer, something like this. God, if you want me, you can have me. I'm done with me. If you'll take my life, I'll follow you the rest of my life, best I know how. Now, I promise you, that wasn't anything I learned in a, in a seminary. It wasn't anything, you know, that was just as guttural. I, I don't know if I screamed it out, but I remember praying something like that. And my life began to change because I began allowing Jesus to carry my burden and shame. The word that would describe my life since would be choice, choice. And that, that really, every day I wake up. I don't, I don't think it's a, a cruel joke, but I do think it's the consequence of living in a broken world. You know, the Bible says that in Psalms 103 that when, 
when our, we're forgiven, that God removes that sin from us as far as the east is from the west. And I don't believe that's a sin-by-sin sin event. I believe that's once and for all, past, present, and future, that when we have been forgiven, we have been forgiven from now into eternity. But the, the, the consequence of living in a broken world is I still remember what, it's like, what it was like to be molested. And I still remember what it was like when all the kids would close their books because they were finished with the chapter and I was still reading the first paragraph. And I, I still remember and know the feeling of, of fear that I have in a room that you're not going to like me and I want you to like me. And, and all of this developing, um, you know, in, in my spirit. And so I, I, I struggle in this life to still every day believe that God really does want to carry this. Now, i got to tell you, since May 2nd, 1988, the days that I choose to take control of my shame and guilt and carry it on my own, those days are far, farther and farther apart. Most days, I wake up and I say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. But at 3.30, I'm going down to the... Uh, uh, airport, flying back to Guatemala to the coffee fields and meeting a team uh, 15 from Mobile, Alabama. And I, uh, I, I rented three vans last time we were there over Memorial Day, and I got a call. I sent by Western Union on Monday the money for the vans. I got a call on Tuesday saying that they couldn't get the money through Western Union because there was a misspelling of the name. So I went back to the bank, and I said, okay, here's the name again. So they typed it back in. I get a call on Wednesday that there's... Uh, uh, that they've misspelled the name again. And then I, I, so I go back to the bank and I say, now this is the name. Here it is. Oh yeah, yeah, okay, that's what we've got. And send it back down. Um, get a call on Thursday. They still can't get the money. And oh, by the way, they've rented the vans out from under me to somebody with money. Guess what? Guess what? I was faced again with a choice. God, you're mad at me, aren't you? I'm going to look like a fool in front of a church that I've taken down to Guatemala. God, you don't like me. God, uh, you see? You see where that... I'm faced with a choice. The word choice defines... Really, my, and finally I came to the place and said, you know what, God? If you're God and you, you've forgiven me and you love me, you're going to work this out. It, it didn't come with some near cussing, right, Jenny? I mean, I was right on the verge. I don't know. I, I probably said a lot of four-letter words. I'm not so sure they, they are in the cussing dictionary, but there was a lot of four four-letter thoughts anyway, and, and I just was so upset. I, and what did I say? I, I kept saying to myself, you're so stupid. You're so stupid. You're going to look stupid. You're so stupid. And you know, the words, the power of the words of our mouth, when they come out, and I don't know when, you know, I just remember as a kid saying that, you're so stupid. You, you can't read. You're broken. Here I am, pastor for 25 years, Faced with a dilemma. And guess what comes out of my mouth? You're so stupid. Isn't that weird? It's just weird. And so, finally, on the back side of that, trust. God, I don't know. You know, I was thinking about it, uh, Ricky. Uh, not independence, but, you know, being a youth pastor for 18 years, which is where I met your pastor. I was a youth pastor. He was the college and, and recreation pastor. And uh, I can't get the, the mindset of making T-shirts out of my head. I was a youth pastor for 18 years. Everything was in, in terms of a T-shirt. But I thought about this. was uh, not independence, but hymn-dependence, right? You know, hymn-dependence. And that, that's really us. And, and so that on the back side of this self-flogging came hymn-dependence. And uh, I woke up at Jenny's mother's house on Saturday morning, early Friday morning? 
It was Saturday morning. It was yes. It was yesterday. And and I and I had this thought. Today's Sunday. We're not here on Monday, are we? Okay. Today's Sunday. And so it was yesterday. And so I, I woke up with this thought, and I went, oh, Chicken bus. Chicken bus. And I thought, what if we could get a chicken bus? And, 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 and we can rent them because I've seen medical missionaries rent an entire bus that took them around. And, uh, and so I, I, I pick up my phone late, late, late in the night. My, our folks down in Guatemala said, we had a thought late last night. Our neighbor owns a bus. And so as it turns out, we're going to have a bus and we're, it's going to actually cost us about two to $300 less than it would have to rent the three vans and I don't have to drive which is really wonderful if you've ever driven in Guatemala. And Dean could attest to that because he's ridden with me or behind me while I'm driven in Guatemala. But anyway, so I I just think that it's really important for me to reintroduce myself to you. Um, But here are some some thoughts that I had, maybe as a precursor, or maybe it'll take our whole time um, uh, to the message that I really prepared. But these thoughts kept coming in my mind and I wanted to share them with you and see if we could get some group discussion going on. And I, I can't do anything except the way I do it at home, and that is that I invite you into a group discussion, not a preaching time, but a, a, a discussion time. My goal here is that you would walk out of here with some, some questions and maybe some answers too. You know, questions are good leaving a worship service because it forces you to go find it in God's Word, right? Answers are good because we need to move the ball down the field a little bit. So um, here, here's a question that, that I just couldn't get out of my head. And, uh, and so here, here's the question. Do you want to have more faith in God? How many of you, as, as church-going, believing, children of God, wherever you fall in that, uh, seeker, how many of you want to have more faith in God? Now, I admit I'm setting you up, okay? So go ahead and raise your hand with me, okay? I'm setting you up. I admit that. All right, so now here's the discussion part. What do you think it takes to have more faith in God? More challenges. Yeah, in order to have more faith, it comes with more challenges. So let me ask you this. Do you want to trust God more? Do you think that's an important discipline in your Christian walk, to trust God more? We want to have more faith, but you'd say that part of our discipline, would you say, is to trust God more? All right. So what do you think it takes to trust someone or God? What, what, what's involved in trusting someone? Personal experience with that person? Okay, in what way? In what way would you, have, what kind of experience would cause you to trust that person? Okay, you interact with them, you see their character. Go ahead. Okay, so you... you so to trust them more, you step back. Okay. All right. Let them, let them handle more. Okay. All right. Let me ask you this. How many of you really want to need God? Do you want to need him? Go ahead, Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> I told you, hey, it's full disclosure here, man. <laughs> yeah, we want to need Him, right? We even sing, as a worship leader, how many songs are all about needing God more? I want to see your face. I want to know you more. I want to need you. I want to, yeah. yeah anybody else have a thought about needing God? You want to need Him? 
Is it true or not that we really want God to need us? How many of you wish you had the spiritual gift of giving? You know what it means to have the spiritual gift of giving? It means what? You got money. I wish I had the spiritual gift of giving. Lord, if you just let me hit the mega millions, I will have the spiritual gift of giving. Amen. Amen. That's right. Right, so percentage, yeah, if you look at life in percentages, right, you know, the, the widow and her two mites, percentage-wise, gave a lot more. But, but often the spiritual gift of giving is, is resources, right? You have resources. Yeah, amen. Amen. Um, so, here, here's a thought. Tell me what you think this question means. Is it possible that in America we don't really want to need God? In America, America, we just celebrated America, Independence, NASCAR, right? And I just wrote these during our worship time a minute ago. And so, Jeff, you already answered. The implications of needing God are what? You said it. Challenges. Trials. So it wasn't until we started the Phoenix Community of Atlanta that I, I, I verbally as a pastor... And, and for you counting the offering today, I, I, I apologize in advance. Uh, because it doesn't fill up the offering plate, what I'm about to say. How do you feel about this statement? Intimacy with God is impossible without suffering. Because intimacy comes through trust, Right? Like when you can lean hard on someone. I was texting Daryl yesterday, and he just texted really low. That was his only text. Really low. I said, Daryl, lean hard on me. I said, but we'll lean hard together on God. I, I don't. I got to tell you, that is not popular theology. You know, you, you can't get colosseums filled with that theology. But yet, all across the emerging world and China, and, and moving west from China, is this incredible movement of God. This incredible movement of God that is all about discipleship. It's all about becoming a disciple. A disciple being defined as someone who could feed themselves and feed others. I'm not sure if Jackie talked about this the other uh, week when he, was, when he was talking, but I can't help but talk about it, Jackie. Every, every message that I'm talking about, because on January 19th is when Jackie really began teaching me about this, this missionary movement based on the model of becoming a disciple. I would say to you that most of the American church are church-going converts, not disciples. And I think it's interesting that in Matthew 4.19 and in Matthew 28.18-20 through 20, that Jesus starts and ends His ministry with this whole idea of 
who we should be based on who He is. He starts, and, and, and the reason that's important to me is because when I, I was struggling with learning about my dyslexia and learning how to study, and I, I took this study course called Where There's a Will, There's an A, and it was back in the 80s, and, I, and it, and it tra- helped me transform from being an FCD student to an AAB student. And, and, and one of the things they taught us was short, shorten your study times. And, and that way, because they say if you, most of us lose the information in the middle, we remember the beginning, we remember the end, but we lose what's in the middle. And I used to study in four-hour blocks. And I, I can remember thinking that the, the, the information was literally going in one ear and out the other, so I would study like this. <laughs> I would. Because I would think, oh, it's not getting out, it's not getting out, it's not getting out. And then I learned to study in 20- and 30-minute blocks. Less information to lose. Jesus gave us something very important at the beginning. He gave us the same basic information at the end. In Matthew 4.19, now let's see if we can bring Matthew 4.19. It's just, maybe it's a good transition. Because uh, I think this is really important. To, to be a disciple, do you think that if, if at the beginning of, the, uh, of their ministry together, if Jesus says, let me tell you guys how you're going to die. How many of them would have signed up for that? If God had told Moses at the burning bush, now let me tell you how this is going to roll. You're not getting in. How, you think he would have gone for it? Yet we know that none of those, the disciples, Moses, Abraham, none of them backed up. They struggled, they stumbled, they didn't back up. Matthew four eighteen through 21. Uh, through 22 says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for, the, for they fish for a living. You say, Brian, I thought you were dyslexic. Well, I learned, by the way, this is just a little side note, because people always say, you're not dyslexic, you can read. I, when I, I was in college, they taught me, they took a, a card, an index card, and I would move it one word at a time across the line. And then I, I, it was big enough for two words, then three words, and I would move it, move it, and then finally got to the point where I could do one line at a time, and then finally with a pencil, I still go down line by line like that. So you can learn, teach a, a broken dog new tricks here. Um, one day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a, a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, they saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called to them too. They immediately followed him, leaving their boats. He said to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, here, again, I'm I'm inviting you into my very um, uh, weird mind here. So these are some questions that come to me as a result of this this teaching from Jesus. And we're going to see if we can solve a little bit of the discipleship puzzle as to why. Because we've already admitted we want to have more faith. We want to trust in God more. We don't really want to need God more because we don't really want the suffering of God. And da 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 right? We've all, we all are on the same page with that, right? Yet, if I were to also say, how many of you know that you're to be a disciple? We would all, what? We would raise our hands or at least reluctantly agree that we are to be a disciple, so I have some questions about discipleship, all right? 
And this is the way my mind works. And I've been, like I said, a pastor for 25 years, and I really never thought about this until about a month ago. So let's go to these questions over here. All right, question number one. Why do you think Jesus told the early disciples that he would teach them to fish for people? Have you ever thought about that? What? Okay, to feed the people. All right, absolutely. That's one reason. Why, Why else can you think of? Huh? They understood fish because why? Right. How many of you love to fish? Come on, raise them high because i got to know. I mean, I figured we'd be at half, but we're not even at half of you that love to fish. Here's another question for you. Is it possible Jesus used the metaphor of fishing because it spoke to them at the core who they were? Fishermen. Next question. Love to fish. Next question. If Jesus spoke to the core of who you are, how would he communicate the essence of this same message? See, because if you look around the room, if you love to fish, raise again. Raise again. I'm going to put mine down. No, you keep yours up if you love to fish. I don't love to fish. All right. I love to catch. So I like, you know. All right, so let me catch up to you here. All right, so here's an example. All right, if, if Jesus spoke to the core of who you are and you don't love to fish, I came up with some examples that may, may touch, touch who you are. Because we always have heard this, right? You should be a fisherman. Go fish. Go fish for people. I'm thinking to myself, I don't like to fish. Is it possible that Jesus was talking to them because they were fishermen? But if he was talking to you, here's an example of one I came up with. What if you love cars? How, let's, let's hit that one. What if you love fixing cars? How would Jesus call you? Same message. What would he say? He would say, come and follow me and I will make you what? Maybe. All right, maybe mechanics. Here's what I, here's what I wrote. Here's what I wrote. Follow me and I'll teach you how to repair people's lives. I don't know. I'm just spitballing, right? How many of you love to fix cars? Some of you, yeah. I just learned how to change my oil and brake pads about 10 years ago. Saved myself hundreds, thousands of dollars. I've got a EPA oil spill in my driveway, but I'm... <laughs> All right, here's one I came up with. Next, next. What if you love music? How would Jesus call you to the same calling, right? It's the same calling. What would he say? Somebody give me an example. Come and follow me and I'll teach you to sing. Huh? For the people. Okay, here's what I wrote. Follow me and I will teach you a rhythm that will touch the souls of people. I don't know. All right, one more. Let's try this. What if you love mixed martial arts? Throw my wife under the bus. She loves mixed martial arts. We watched a guy's shoulder break six times and in slow motion the other day. I mean, it was, and I'm watching like this, you know. She's like, oh, watch again. Oh, watch again. You know, Duke, come in here. Our son's name is Duke. Watch this. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> but if you love that, I got a friend of mine uh, uh, in the Marines, he, when he left the Marines, he went into mixed martial arts. You know, the guy that, uh, Jim, jo- John, Jim Jones, John Jones, what's it, the, anyway, the, the, he's, he's like Philippians 4.13, loves the Lord, man. What if you love mixed martial arts? That sounds crazy, right? Why would Jesus call you to the same calling? Does anybody want to spitball? 
No? Defender of the poor. Hey, come and follow me and I will teach you to defend the poor. That's not bad. That's really good. Anybody else want to give a shot? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Here's what I wrote. Follow me and I will teach you how to break the strongholds of the enemy in people's lives. I don't know. I mean, I'm just writing stuff, right? We could go on and on, but those are three that I came up with. You know, it, it, number four, right? Here's, here's what I wrote down. How would Jesus call you based on your unique design? And so if you walk away from today thinking about this, we said we want to have more faith. We want to trust God. We don't really want to need him more because we know that brings struggle and, and, and suffering sometimes. But we know we want to be a disciple, and yet we don't all like to fish. I'm just going down this progression with you, okay? Don't get lost. Here's what I thought. Here's something that I want you to walk away from. Don't get pigeonholed into this fisherman deal. Don't get pigeonholed into that. Because you are uniquely designed. Everybody hold their thumb up. Everybody? Now hold your other one up. You know, roughly 70 billion people have ever walked the earth. And did you know that there has never been of 140 billion thumbs, one, two that were alike, not even on your own hand? Is it, is it possible that God is so unique that He can call each of us differently to do the same thing? Here's my point. Is that you are uniquely designed, but Jesus' call is a universal call. And I hope that this will help us work through some factors that, that are important in working through this fact that I want to have more faith, I want to trust God, I'm not sure about needing him because I know if I need him that that puts me in a tough spot. But let's, let's move on here and see if we can come up with some universal factors in Jesus' unique call for your life, all right? Number one, universally he has called us into his presence. At the beginning of his ministry he said, come, follow me. Come into my presence. Listen, at the end of his ministry he says, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me to tell you this. All authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me to tell you this. I'm telling you something intimate. Make disciples. Now, when he said that, he, you had, we, we've heard that whole thing. Make disciples, make disciples, the Great Commission, the Great Commission. You've got to understand what he was saying. He was telling these guys, these sort of left-outs, leftover guys, he was saying, I need you to capture this thought. I want you to do for others what I have done for you. I am calling you into a unique calling. I have called you a unique way because he said this. He said in, in John chapter 16 in his prayer before he was crucified, he said, I no longer call them my servants. Parenthetically, like other teachers call their disciples, I call them friends. So when he said, go and make disciples, you got to just sit there for a second. Don't miss the fact that he was saying, like I have done with you, I have invited you into my life. So come, follow me at the end of his ministry. Make disciples the way I've made with you. I am your friend. You are my friend. I've invited you into my presence. All right? So let me ask you this. What is keeping? Let's, let, let's keep rolling here. Keep rolling. What is keeping you from experiencing the presence and the freedom that comes in his presence of God's love and forgiveness? What's keeping you from that? 
I got to tell you, I don't know how it happened. It was subtle, I know. I received the love and forgiveness of Jesus on May 2nd, 1988. I had all this, all this shame and all this guilt, and I began experiencing freedom. But somewhere along the way, I traded that shame and guilt again for His presence. In other words, if His presence was a room, let's say this room was the presence of God. Somewhere along the way, I traded this closet right outside the presence of God. And, and, and I would go into this closet trying to get to God... And I would go in this closet and I would like tie myself to a whipping post and I would just let the enemy just whip me and make me just feel so bad, even as a Christian. And to to one day I came to this realization that there is no freedom outside of the presence of God and because we're under the authority of the righteousness of Christ, under His cloak, we are invited into His presence because we cannot be clean outside of His presence. But how many of us keep trying to get clean to get in the presence of God? We work, 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 and if the bands fall through, stupid, stupid, stupid. How, how it just it just creeps in. I'm not I'm not fully forgiven under the righteousness of Christ. I am stupid, 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 and God is punishing me outside the presence of God. Find myself at the whipping post, going, "Oh man, if I just feel bad enough, that must be God's forgiveness." No, it's not. Freedom is God's forgiveness. That's the design. So what's keeping you from experiencing the love and forgiveness of Jesus? I think there's two things. Number one, your view of God. All right? Your view of God. Number two, your view of how God views you. I really believe, you know, this has always been. This is how kids control their parents. Because kids dominate their parents in two realms. Their view of their parents and their view of how their parents view them. Neither chance, in neither situation does the parent get a a chance to talk about it. The kid says, this is how I view you. And then the kid says, this is how I think you view me. And the parent's over here going, but, 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 that's not, 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 that's not. And it's the same way with God. We do the same thing with God. We view God a certain way. And we think God views us a certain way. And we leave God out of it. All right, go with me here. What is a worldview? Next, the worldview is the lens by which you uh, the, the lens by which you view the world is shaped by your life experience. Okay, how many of you wear glasses? You understand shape and glass and, and all that. All right, so the whole idea of how you view God is shaped by your life experience. Right? I viewed God as embarrassed of me because I was molested. I thought he was embarrassed of me. Oh, man, for the longest, longest time, until about a year ago when a friend of mine walked me through this exercise to find out that God was never embarrassed. Actually, he was righteously indignant at the young man that did that to me. But it took me a long time to get there. The lens by which you view the world is shaped by your life experiences. So, next, and this is very important. If we don't get past this, that's okay. I think this is where we're going to... Spend a little bit of time. In other words, in other words, how you view God or how you think He views you has been shaped by some event or series of events in your life where you thought in your inner soul, and I know this is going to touch all uniquely with the Kimberly's death, okay? But think about this. How we view God and how we think He views us 
often has been shaped by an event. And it's like this. Look at this question. Have you ever prayed something like this or screamed something like Get this? If you're God and you love me, then why did you? Did y'all fill in the blank in your mind? Yeah, because you're uniquely broken. And you've had some life experiences. Or maybe you asked this question. Where were you when? And now we're on the outside of the presence of God. And we're going, uh-uh-uh. No. No, no, no. I'm not coming in there because you hurt me. Or you weren't there for me. And here's the, here's the struggle. Here's, here's the struggle. Is that until we trust Him, that he is good and he loves us and we can come back into his presence, we'll never get an answer, which is exactly where the enemy wants us. Unanswered. On the outside of his presence. Until we just sit in his presence and say, we don't understand. But we admit... It's only in your presence that understanding comes. And time and truth go hand in hand. All right, I wrote this, so I want to read it exactly as I wrote it. Until you come to grips with the the truth that God has the right to point all the universe to himself and his glory, whether it's through our eternal favor or our temporary suffering, you will not be able to experience the fullness, the fullness of his love and forgiveness. It's about God. It was never about Kimberly. You understand that? And it's not about you. That hurts in some way because we, especially in America, believe it's all about us. The whole world points to us. And if you're experiencing favor, then that is great. And if you're experiencing suffering, then that will end. Does it lessen his love for us, for Daryl, for the boys, for Kimberly? No. But his presence, until we will never understand what it means to be his disciple, until we understand his presence. Quickly, I just want to go to the next two. Let's, let's just quickly just zip through those. We can skip that, go to the next one. See, because being in his presence prepares us we learn he says come and follow me and i will make you follow me come into my excuse me come into my presence and i will make you i will make you but you know here's the problem most of us want to make ourselves and then come into his presence we got it backwards god i tell you what i'll make a deal with you if you will bless me then i will serve you God says, serve me. No guarantees in this life. How about that? Sign up for that one. They're signing up for it in China. They're signing up for it in India. They're signing up for it in Africa. They're signing up for it in every undeveloped country in the world except America. Why? Because they don't expect anything in this life because they're looking forward to the next. Now, I was talking to a Vietnam pastor at my parents' house one time, and I said, how can I pray for you? He said this, 
pray that I die well. What? I, I need a raise, man. He says, pray that I die well? That's his prayer request? Yeah. Our preparation only happens in the presence of God. Check this out. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Let's, let's move. I want to do some discipleship math with you. Keep going. All right? Because here's the thing. Here, here it is. His presence prepares us to love people. But here's what's happened in the church. We say, come here. We're going to teach you to love people. All right? I know that's not here. But in a lot of churches, they say, come to church and we're going to teach you to love people. But the problem is, or we're going to command you to love people or go visiting or whatever. And, 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 and what, what the Bible says is, you get in my presence. Jesus says, I will teach you to what? Love, love people. Now, the, the, the discipleship math goes like this. And this is, this is a problem because we, we all say we want more faith, we want to trust Him more, but we don't want to go through the whole equation. I'm not mathematically inclined necessarily, but I do like math. I see this as come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men or make you mechanics for men or you know, break the strongholds in, in people, whatever, whatever it is, the universal call based on your unique design I see it as a mathematical equation. Jesus says, why? That's the first variable. Come and follow me. Why is you. Jesus says, and I will make you. J is Jesus. Y times J. Fishers of men, mechanics of men, martial arts for men, musicians for men. Come and follow me. Y times J equals D. D equals disciple. How many of you would agree? Jesus says, you have a responsibility. Follow me. He says, I have a responsibility. I will make you. Finally, the, the Y times Jake was D. You will be a disciple. We say, yeah, we agree with that. We need to follow him. We trust that he will make us. So here's the, here's the part that we, as Christians, we just want to give an offering right here. We want to give an invitation right here. And we want to go home. But here's the question. How many of you are discipling anyone? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. How do we disciple someone? Well, i got to tell you, I didn't really know. I was a pastor for 25 years. I knew to tell people to read the Bible. I knew to tell them to come to church. I knew to tell them to go to Sunday school. I knew to tell them all this stuff. But it is really, really not as complex as, as somehow the church has made it over the years. It's simply, simply learning how to read the Bible, simply learning how to tell your story in three words. By the way, how many of you have developed a three-word story since I've shared with you my three words? I bet you could. I bet by the end of today you could. I bet by the end of today you could come up with a word that describes your life before you receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus, a word that describes the events around that, that time when you receive the love and forgiveness of Jesus, and a word that describes your life since. I bet you could do it. There's a great reason why the church is not telling their story. It's because they don't know how to tell their story. It's no, no, no slam on you. Jackie taught me. Like, I'm like six months ahead of you. Right? Jackie taught me how to share my story in three words. I taught a whole 230 people how to share their story last week. They went all over Brunswick, Georgia, sharing their story and sharing God's story, inviting people into God's story. It's not difficult. 
when you understand that God has always, always wanted us to share the love and forgiveness of Jesus through our story. Because Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7 says, it will be through you, like a conduit. It will be through you that these future generations will glorify me. I'm telling you, I'm going to stop right there because that's enough. What is the universal call discipleship? What does it look like to become a disciple, to come into his presence, to be prepared by Jesus, to love people? Don't try to love people on your own. That's the natural way. Love others like you love yourself. How many of you have loved others like you loved yourself and just, just thrown a grenade in the middle of the room and shrapnel went everywhere because you were loving others like you loved yourself on that day? The shrapnel around... Uh, my family, when I had three vans blow up on me, you know, I mean, I was like, get you know, just the shrapnel. Jesus says, if you will understand my love for you, then you will be able to respond because I will show myself trustworthy to me. And when you experience my love, you will love me, which I will allow you to love others. Presence. He will prepare you to love people. Guys, it's my privilege just to share with you today that simple truth. All right? Some of you aren't getting over the fact that I said it wasn't about Kimberly. I understand that. i got to tell you, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. And God is going to work His glory. You know this. You know this. He's going to work His glory through the tragedy of her death. You know that. You just time and truth go hand in hand. It's okay to be hurt. But just keep admitting. Keep, keep coming into his presence going, God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I confess you're going to work your glory. You will be glorified. You will be glorified. I confess it. I want to be here when it happens. But if I'm not, it's all right. You're going to do it. It's going to be for your glory. I love you guys. Thanks for inviting me up here. Let's pray together. Father, we just come to you right now. Hard truth. Working out the problem to the end. We want more faith. We want to be able to trust you more, but we don't want to necessarily need you in a way that we have to develop that trust in you. But Father, that's exactly what you've called us to. A life of being a disciple. That's not, that's not some academic term because you said a disciple is a friend. It's a relational term. And that, Father, you say that we become your friends when we enter your presence. And we become your friends as you begin teaching us what that means. And we become your friends, Father, as, as people begin to notice and we are able to tell our story. And your story. And to invite people into it. Father, you prepare us for that in your presence and so father we're here in your presence and we're just so thankful so thankful that daryl and kimmy they launched out 10 years ago and they had a dream for this this part of the corner of the united states of the world draws these people together to become the church body cornerstone father because of this co-dream of two incredible incredible loving servants who you call friends <laughs> we get to be friends we get to come into your presence at least once a week 
being challenged to be in your presence every day. Just like Jeff said earlier. When we're in your presence, it's going to spill over in conversation. Father, we, we don't need to do anything except just lift up our hand. Even now, even now, I wonder if you have been on the outside of the presence of God. For maybe you feeling shameful. Maybe you felt guilty. Maybe you've said things like, but if you were God and you were loving, then you would, and, and the conversation ended. Maybe you've made some choices that you feel like God can't forgive you. Maybe you've just gotten distracted. But if I could give you an invitation this morning, it's a personal invitation that I can tell you personally, God is inviting you to. Would you just, if it's you and you want to, if you want to experience the presence of God again, your eyes closed, nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand up in a way like you're grabbing your father's hand or your mother's hand and you were a little child and they were walking you safely across the street or down the road. You just hadn't been in the presence of God, but as your way of acknowledging that, that you want to come back into the presence of God, just reach your hand up like you're holding your parents' hand. They love you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. His forgiveness is available to you. If you've received that love and forgiveness and know that your sin is as far as the east is from the west, you can just you can glory in that. And if you never prayed a, a prayer that just signifies a day that you've turned your life over to Him, and you want to pray a prayer sort of like mine, God, if you want me, you can have me. I'm done with me. I'm, I'm over it. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to chase these other things anymore. I'm going to follow you if you'll accept me pray that prayer. You can pray a more scriptural prayer maybe that says, Jesus, I believe you died for me. God, I believe you sent your son for me. I'm receiving that forgiveness that you made available when you got up from the grave and defeated death and hell. You may say a prayer like that. Just holding on to his hand. Get your second word today. It's a good day. So, Father, we just stand where we are right now, just uh, just to stand as a body together. We just stand up right now, just holding our hands up. We need to hold our hands up, just grasping hold of your hand, and we say, we love you. We are in your presence. We confess that that was always the plan to bring us back into your presence, just like the Garden of Eden. Through Jesus, you've made it possible. Just hold your hand right now. We experience your love and forgiveness. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.